Welcome to episode three of the Cracked Cup, in which we introduce Corrections Corner, correct each other for seven full minutes, and then discover the true meaning of Christmas. And solstice, and all of the holidays, because we are not all Christmas people. That belonged in Corrections Corner. In January, you make correct. You hadn't made the mistake yet. <laughs> I'm Liz James. I'm Ann Barker. And we are so glad that you could join us. We'd like to begin this episode with something new, and we're calling it Corrections Corner. Well, actually, AJ called it Corrections Corner. He's one of our listeners. Why don't you tell them about our first correction, Liz? Can I start by correcting your Corrections Corner? I would not say that it is a new thing within Unitarian Universalism. In fact, every service I attended for the first two years had what they called feedback in the middle of the service where they would say, we know that among us the truth is not spoken until many voices are heard, and then we would have Corrections Corner in the middle of the service. (laughs) Except they didn't call it that. (laughs) It's a proud tradition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pride goeth before a fall. (laughs) We will blame AJ. It was his okay. idea. <laughs> but I think it's new because it's new to the Crack Cup podcast. So thank you, AJ, for Corrections Corner. Liz, please carry on with the correction. First of all, uh, Suzanne would like to clarify that she didn't steal any drugs. Um, I will put a link in the show notes to the story. I tried reading it, but it was very long. Um, it's on our Patreon, but it's public. Anybody can read it. In which Suzanne allegedly steals drugs. But I feel like I was clear that she didn't steal drugs in the story. Clearly, um, Suzanne did not think you were clear enough. Well, anyway, Suzanne didn't steal any drugs. Link in the show <laughs> That's notes. Right. This is why you need to go to the Patreon. It's free to read the story. Yes. The next correction that we have is tender to my heart, because it's not exactly a correction. So the meditation that we did last episode, the one on God, no God, we had a listener do something fabulous with it, uh, Elora animated it and put beautiful illustrations and that's up on our youtube and i'll have a link in the show notes to it it is gorgeous they did an amazing job one of the things that came up between them and i was they said i love this and i love the description but i feel like i need to mention that i do believe in god (laughs) and we had this really interesting back and forth and there have been times where people have responded to that with well yeah but i would argue that that is god like that what you just described is what i call god Right. And sometimes I hear that as you're not allowed to write this thing about no God. And it was interesting in the way Elara described it. I recognized my own little tender, well, yeah, but I need to be authentic in my own expression kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it felt really sweet to me because there is all kinds of music that has the word God in it that I sing the word God, but I mean not God or right. I mean love or right. I mean whatever. And so Or we change the words. Many yeah, of us or we change, change the words. The words. And people are welcome, by the way, to change the words in that meditation. No skin off my nose. But I I love the idea that now they're starting to be readings that are no God, that theists are changing to God in their head, just like there are readings that are God, that atheists are changing to no God in their head. This makes me very, very happy. It's very lovely. (laughs) Corrections Corner, Ilara's conception of God is more expansive than is in that meditation. (laughs) Anne's correction corner as a cranky school marm is to say that if you don't know what we're talking about, it means you didn't listen to the second episode. Get back there. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can just watch the YouTube video. It'll give you the gist. Also, you should watch the YouTube video and share it with your friends and use it in your Sunday service if that's a thing that you do in your life. So the other corrections corner that I had um, is actually something AJ sent in about episode one. In episode one, we talked about the name of the Cracked Cup podcast. So there's that Leonard Cohen quote that is, 
there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, which I love. I would argue that the cracks are often how the light gets out as well, that the times in my life where I've been going through something where I think of it as a huge flaw or a mistake or something that's gone wrong, those are often the times that in retrospect, I think, wow, that was the most useful or that was part of me getting to something really valuable. Well, I just want to say that the one thing that happens to me when I'm preaching, the thing that gets the most positive feedback is when I tell a story about something I have done poorly or I've made a mistake or that I just haven't figured out how to do well. And people come up to me afterwards and say, I'm so glad you said that because I also am bad at X or Y. Mm. And I and I just feel so much better because I think everybody in this room is a good Xer or Yer. And you just told me that you're not. And it means Mm. so much. And I think that's an example of how the cracks are where the light gets out. That's really beautiful. One of the things that I tell people when I'm describing you, Anne, is that you're really good at screwing up publicly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to cut that because it relies on a previous episode. (laughs) No, don't you understand? The people must listen to all the episodes. (laughs) If you don't understand the funny things because they don't stand alone in their it's because I am a serial listener. (laughs) (laughs) The, The thing that I... I lifted up in the first episode that uh, AJ was responding to was the quote by Emerson. So Leonard Cohen takes that, like, you can trace this quote going back into history the way you often can. And Emerson says, there is a crack in everything except reason, which I made some snotty comment about that being tantamount to there is a crack in everything except the world as described by Emerson because he's perfectly rational. And AJ sent in something really interesting. It's an, I'll put a link in the show notes to it, that when Emerson said reason, he was referring in the transcendentalist sense to like God and intuition and the something more. And he would use the word understanding to refer to like the math, science, logic, grammar, which I just found really interesting how logic changes because I would have reversed those. Right. And I completely misunderstood Emerson. And I feel like I need to issue Emerson's ghost an apology. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Emerson's ghost has already filed a complaint. (laughs) Emerson's ghost is deeply concerned with what I say about him. I know that this is the most important thing Emerson's ghost has to do in Emerson's ghost's day. Uh, And then the last part of Corrections Corner will be Anne and Liz correcting each other and themselves for things that they wish that they had said differently. So this probably won't happen very often, I'm sure. (laughs) Except, okay, I have one. I have one. And I'm really grateful that we have this opportunity because I want to correct something from episode two. I tell a story about vaccination, and in the story, I say the words, I'm not one of the people who fell for the autism thing, and I want to take that back. I so regret using the words fell for. I want to say that I'm not one of the people who believed that vaccinations cause autism, because fell for, to me, sounds insulting. It sounds like I'm I'm saying that people who believed it are somehow not as bright or they're gullible or something. And so I would just like to go back and change fell for to believed so that it doesn't come across as an insult to any listener who carried that belief. All right. On to our main topic. What are we doing for Christmas? Oh, 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 oh. And, and, and solstice and all of the holidays because we are not all Christmas people. That belonged in Corrections Corner in January. You, you haven't made the mistake yet. <laughs> If 
you're going to start correcting me for mistakes I am about to make, we are going to be here all day. This was just an inclusionary statement. This was not a correction, but if you feel corrected, perhaps you should rethink your approach. <laughs> all right. So before we talk about Christmas, I want to talk about the election. Hmm. I hear you. I really don't want to talk about the election. I want to never talk about the election ever, ever, ever again. I am using my veto. Who told Things you you have a veto? <laughs> <laughs> Things are incredibly hard. And the election was incredibly hard. And even though it looks like it's going to be sort of okay in the end, we know that what happened in the election means a lot of people still feel harmed. Hmm. There were a lot of people, I know I'm one of them, there were a lot of people who were hoping for a landslide to demonstrate transformation, right? That we were going to say that we're a country that believes in science, that we, that we stand up for all the people. And that didn't happen. I mean, it's a win, but it's not a landslide. And I know that hurt my heart to see that happen. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it hurts even more knowing that I live in a province that is going through kind of the same thing, mm -hmm. right? We have a really difficult province here. And so the, the important thing I think we need to be thinking about is how do we go forward from here? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's how we need to think about Christmas this year and all the holidays. How <laughs> the Christmas people do. <laughs> I am so leaving that in. That was a trick and a trap. Um, <laughs> and it's the times when you mess up and then you go back and change it and move on. That is what we really treasure about you. And when I leave my examples of messing up so that people can learn from my humiliation. So uh, when I think about the winter holidays this year, which is characterized by Christmas for many of us, I think this is the year where we're talking about nesting and safety and security and how do we care for one another? Because it's it's been a difficult time in so many ways. It's really hard, too, because all of the ways that I am used to taking care of each other involve being a lot closer than six feet and involve a lot more me being fed by people. Right. <laughs> and... And, and singing too. and singing in the same room. Like there's all these different things. I have this image in my head of how holidays are supposed to be. Everybody has an image in their head of the holidays and they're all different and unattainable. And now more than ever this year, it's not going to be the holiday that you never actually get anyways, but you think you're going to get. Right. That you're aiming for. You know, we've been talking for years and years about how it's not presence with a T, it's presence with a C that's the most important thing. It's about showing up and being there. And how hard is it to show up in a time when you're not supposed to be inside together within six feet of one another unmasked? Which, you know, though, okay, I have to, I'm going to talk just Christmas because Christmas is my, my heritage, so I can only speak to the one holiday Okay, but, let's just let's just interrupt us. This. this is the Christmas episode. We also love all the people and all the other <laughs> holidays, but this primarily is the Christmas episode. Yay, Christmas. <laughs> so did I ever tell you the story of the nativity story and Eric and Anthony? Mm-hmm. So there's the Enchanted Forest, which is this beautiful series of dioramas in Saskatoon that we drive through every year and there's lights. Bright and lights beautiful. in the zoo, yeah. right? Yeah. So I drive through every year with my kids. And one year they're about five and seven. And we're driving through and we come, uh, first we came across Noah's Ark, which I would argue does not belong in the Christmas 
story festival. That is a little thing. curious. <laughs> and they were like, tell me the story of Noah's Ark. So I tried that. And I have to tell you. I think you, somebody who loved Noah's Ark just felt that it needed <laughs> to be there. <laughs> Telling that story to children who have not started with a strong concept of God is very hard. Right. Because first I had to try to define God, which it didn't work well. And then I move on to this story where essentially I think they got the idea that God is a talking rain cloud that gets very petulant very easily. Mm. So this story Mm -hmm. was a total disaster. And then I branched off into theology, which is like one heck of a mom knows how to boring up a story about a cool talking rain cloud. You're driving through the lights. Anyways, the moral of the story is I'm not good at telling Bible stories off the cuff. So when they are like, tell us the nativity story, mom, I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) what am I going to (laughs) do? Here I go again. (laughs) Well, and it's supposed to be the story of Christmas. So I remember sometimes like a wise version of me takes over and and comes out my mouth. And I remember telling them this story about there was this woman named Mary and she had a baby growing inside of her. And in order to have a baby growing inside of you, you need to have a special kind of cuddle. (laughs) Maybe the baby got in some other way. Maybe she had that kind of cuddle. We don't know. But she was in trouble. (laughs) And someone was mad at the baby and was trying to get the baby and so she had to travel and there was something about taxes and taxes makes everybody grumpy and it does so she was traveling and the baby started coming and normally when a baby came back then you would be surrounded by other moms who'd already had babies who were loving and who understood how to do it but all she had was this idiot who kept knocking on doors saying a baby's about to shoot out of my wife can I come inside can we do that in your house (laughs) so this guy landed her in the barn and the barn was filled with poop and it was filled with blood and shrieking. And then she went to push the baby out and she realized... And animals. Don't forget the animals. Yeah. Animals making noise, staring, <laughs> sniffing. It was Smelly. not sanitary conditions. And she was about to have the baby and she realized, oh my God, no, I can't have the baby here. This is not how it's supposed to go. I'm and sure then, the children were loving this story. <laughs> I think... Oh, yeah. Well, I think it was good. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I Special cuddle, yucky barn. I glossed over the parts about dilation. It's fine. And then oh, thank the baby shot I out mean, of Mary. I mean, they were 20 then, right? No, they were five and seven. <laughs> <laughs> I have told them about dilation since. And then the baby came out of Mary. And then she realized that even in very bad situations, people can love each other. And a family isn't a thing that happens in ideal situations. A family is a thing that you can make in any situation, no matter how far away from home you are or how many sheep there are around you or how much poop. (laughs) And then we look at stories like we look at the nativity scene. And when I see that, I see a reminder that no matter how crappy and unideal things are, you can make something beautiful and you can have family in the middle of that. And I think about that, even the fact that it's like a holiday that's kind of half stolen from the pagans and the beautiful Martha Stewart garlands that were hanging up. Originally, those decorations were just crap that you brought in from the forest because you were really depressed because there was no light and you needed to make something pretty. Like the whole story of Christmas is all about it's not going well and we just do what we can in the face of crappiness. So I, I, planting my flag in Christmas this year. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't an exception. This isn't an exception to the story. This is a continuation of the story. This is central to the point of what Christmas is. 
Right? I've been seeing memes since like early November that say, you know, how people normally look at one another with disdain when they start putting up Christmas before U.S. Thanksgiving or when Christmas is on the shelves before Halloween is over or something. And now this year, everybody is like, drink your pumpkin spice and put up your Christmas and get out your lights (laughs) and do the things, do all the things. Our tree has been up since early November. (laughs) My stuff is already out. It does not have Christmas decorations on it yet. It's just lights so far, but man, we needed the extra lights. My Christmas stuff is up and I am not taking it down until I am vaccinated. That is how I'm doing it. (laughs) Okay. Good to know. That is a firm line. Yes. I am getting Christmas until I get vaccinations. That is how that is. Christmas season, then vaccination season. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so many different ways that we understand family and we understand Christmas and we understand the holidays. And I have a I have a story. Um, let me tell you the story about the year that I learned that my children didn't understand what was going on in my brain. <laughs> that was just once, hey? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so when my guys were little and we lived in this little teeny tiny apartment, in a basement suite in a house. And it was me and the boys. And they were, I don't know, they were in grade school. I can't remember exactly how old they were. And we had a little teeny tiny tree. And we had a Rubbermaid tote that we kept Christmas in. So if it didn't fit in the Rubbermaid tote, we didn't keep it because we had very limited space. So we had this Rubbermaid tote full of Christmas and this little tree that we would set on top of the tote and decorate with all the things in the tote. And as a mom, I was shaped by my mom and my experience in childhood and by the way she understood Christmas. And she had had a lot of isolation and hardship. She she didn't really know her dad and she was raised by a single mom who often went away to work and she could be left with other people. Christmas took on monumental importance for my mother. So she had all of these categories So you had, there were categories for what went into your stocking and there were categories for what had to be under the tree. And in your stocking, there had to be money. Now it was a quarter when I was a kid, but that's, you know, I think we've upgraded since then. (laughs) There was a quarter and there had to be a mandarin orange. And if you're somewhere in the States that doesn't know mandarin oranges, that's like the little satsumas. That was a big surprise when we went to Denver that they didn't have mandarin oranges at Christmas. Mm. Holy cow. (laughs) And... There had to be something to eat. That was because we were allowed to open our stocking the minute we woke up. And my mother did not want us to wake her up at three in the morning. So there was something to eat to tide (laughs) us over. Then there was also some crappy candy so that we would really eat it. And there had to be something to read. So I often got a puzzle book because I love puzzles. And my brother would get some kind of comic or some kind of, you know, superhero thing or sports thing. And then there was a gift. So some kind of little treasure For me, it was often a piece of jewelry or it was something that I really wanted and I would get this little treasure. So whenever we woke up, we could open this stocking and there were all these categories of things in it. And I don't know if she started thinking about categories, but that's the way it worked out over the years that every one of these categories had to be met for what goes into the stocking. We would get up in the morning and we would open it and we would sit there happily for hours until my parents got up and made us real breakfast. So back to the little um, basement suite with the little boys and the little tree and the little Christmas, Mm -hmm. there was one year when things were really tight. And we had quite a few years where things were tight, but this one was tighter than others. And I realized that I couldn't 
fulfill all of the categories. Hmm. I couldn't afford it, right? And and I never did fancy expensive things, but I couldn't meet all the categories. As well, we had a tradition that we got this Terry's chocolate orange, the kind of orange that comes in slices stuck together and you smash it and it breaks apart and we eat that on Christmas Eve. And then you have presents under the tree and there's the dinner and all the things. So I had to sit the boys down and have this conversation with them, and which broke my heart as a mom, and say... I need to talk to you about which categories are most important to you because I'm having a little trouble being able to do Christmas exactly the way we've always done it. So I want to know from you what's the most important categories to you so I can make sure we succeed at those ones that we prioritize. I didn't want to make the decision for them. I wanted them to help me figure out what was important. Yeah. And they looked up at me with their little sparkly eyes and said, what categories? <laughs> Mom, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, how did you live to be in like grade five and seven and not know that every year there is a money and there is an orange and there is a snack and there is a book and there is a present and there is a thing. And the, oh, there had to be socks and there had to be underwear, which is, you know, we had to buy them anyway. So we made it a Christmas present. So we had more things to open and all of these things and the Terry's chocolate orange and the Christmas dinner and the stuffing and the things and the olives. How did you not know that these were rules? And they had no idea. And it was such a big deal for me to learn that all of these things that I'd built up into rules and requirements they didn't even matter to them. They didn't care at all. That wasn't what Christmas was about. In the end, what mattered was they wanted something in a stocking when they got up. But if it was just an orange and underwear, like that was good enough. <laughs> and they really wanted the Terry's chocolate orange <laughs> on Christmas Eve, which was awesome because I wanted it too. <laughs> and that they really would like a Christmas dinner, but they didn't care what it was. We have the same tradition around Terry's chocolate oranges, and we've had three already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and now we will do this again. <laughs> Much like Halloween candy, as a person who had a problem with sugar, I would have to repurchase the Terry's chocolate orange multiple times before the Christmas holiday. Right, but because it's yes. 2020, I do not feel bad. I'll have my oranges. <laughs> 2021 will be about diabetes, but 2020 is about COVID. <laughs> I'm very sorry that that would be your reality. So this was a big deal for me, right? Yeah. It was a really big deal to realize that what my mom had done as a gesture of love, and I was carrying out as the way you demonstrate your love at Christmas, wasn't demonstrating that to my children. Like they, they were happy. Mm. They felt loved. They got presents. They had a good experience, more or less, you know, except when we're making mistakes, which we all do. <laughs> but that they really didn't have any of the kind of story in their head that I had about how you had to tick all the boxes and hit all the categories. I think there's so much more flexibility in Christmas than we think there is. Mm -hmm. Like I think we consider it like divinely ordained, passed down from centuries, but in fact it is being modified and cobbled together and changed constantly. Every generation changes Christmas. Right. And I think I love that story because out of an inadequacy comes an intentionality where you 
are forced to reframe what's most valuable. And then that's more Christmas because you're focusing in on what's really special instead of exhausting yourself trying to cover all the bases. Exactly. The the big lesson for me was that the most important thing that happened that year was a conversation with my children about what mattered. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening to us all in this COVID crisis is that we're having or we are forced to have conversations about what matters the most and how, where do you focus your attention and where do you put it? When it was a couple of years after that, that our family also shifted. Like I remember watching you go through that process and thinking, huh, I wonder if I could change some things. <laughs> and Because Christmas as it was, was your favorite thing in the world, well, right? Okay. Well, it, it was when I was a kid. Like my mom would like, sh- we didn't have a lot of money either, but she would shop garage sales all year round. And there was this very elaborate, wonderful, exciting thing with piles of presents. And when I was experiencing that as a child, it was very lovely. When I was trying to make that happen as an adult, it was exhausting. So Mm -hmm. I used to love Christmas. And then now Christmas became this elaborate series of lists and tasks and many tiny things to keep track of. And also I hate shopping. I hate shopping. And I hate shopping for obligatory things that nobody wants. Like when they're like, what do you get the person who has everything? I'm like, nothing, nothing. More space in their house. (laughs) I don't want a thing. (laughs) Yeah. So I hated that. And I felt like I was losing Christmas. And then I forget how it occurred to me, but I thought, I wonder if maybe I could just not. And the two older boys were teenagers. And so we could buy them off with cash. (laughs) And the two younger (laughs) boys were so small that they didn't really remember the previous Christmas. And so we ran an experiment one year where we didn't buy anything for Christmas. And we get our kids gifts at other times of the year. We would get them what I would call airplane presents, which is whenever we're going to go on an airplane, that's when I give you a new toy. <laughs> because right. that's when I need you to have a new toy. <laughs> I don't need right. to have a mountain that is on That's when December I need 25th. you to be occupied. Right. So they had presents at other times of the year. And so we had this conversation with the kids about, you know, the Santa Claus conversation where you talk about how Santa is an idea that we all do together and we create Santa Claus because you can make big things when you all come together under one vision. And I talked to them about how you get to be Santa Claus. And we moved into this tradition where every year we made gifts. And I'm not talking like Martha Stewart made gifts. I'm talking (laughs) my children would rummage through the bathroom garbage for like old paper towel things. And then they would color them. And they were like four. So you couldn't tell what they were coloring them to be. And then we'd take these gifts. This is Lovely. Thank you. And then you would take they would take these gifts. I remember going door to door for like different houses in the congregation. And I remember Anne Coxworth opening the door and um there's Anthony and he's got this wrapped thing and he hands it to her. She's very small and she opens it up and it is an old pa- toilet paper roll with <laughs> a couple of lines drawn on it with a marker. <laughs> Anthony's like, you know, toilet paper would make an excellent gift this year. <laughs> no, that was not we took the toilet paper off. <laughs> and, and so Anne Coxworth looks at him and he, he goes, Merry Christmas, I'm being Santa. And her whole face lit up with Aww. two parts. One is, isn't it lovely that this child is here giving me this wonderful thing he has made? And two, as soon as this kid leaves, I'm hawking this in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, let's be fair. Anne Coxworth would put it in the recycling. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> But it made all this room for the ritual, right? Because I wasn't thinking of Christmas as a thing you unwrap or achieve. When we simplify, then there was way more energy into the cooking and the singing and the Mm -hmm. having drinks by the fire because there was so much more room. They transformed my concept of Christmas. And I remember when you're coming down and Eric's got these piles all around him. He would have been like 
seven or eight at this time. And he goes, mom, I have more presents than anybody. I have the biggest pile. You have, and he starts listing off all the numbers. And I look at the tags and he'd sorted them by from. What he meant was oh, he had made yeah, more presents God. than anyone. And he goes, I think it's because I'm the only one who knows how to use the printer. I have more presents oh. than anybody. He won Christmas by being the most generous. It was just really sweet. And they were so focused on the experience of watching people unwrap what they had made. And then last year, Anthony says, because we'd had, we, it was the second two years since the divorce. So Anthony's like, Mom, I was thinking, because family is changing and stuff, maybe I would like bought gifts. And I'm like, are you trying to use the divorce <laughs> to get bought gifts? He's like, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, I want bought gifts. He's like, I've never had this. I'd like to, I'd like to have it. So we got, so we did bought Christmas last year. And at that same time, someone in the media got word of like, we're the family that doesn't give Christmas presents. She calls me up. She's like, so I hear you do this. I'm like, well, not this year. <laughs> So then we had a reputation destroyed. (laughs) Right. So then that particular year, we had media coming to like watch us make truffles and asking us questions about all this. And I'm like, this isn't really a story. I think you just want to have your Christmas story set up by the 20th, something reliable so that you can go home on the 22nd and not worry. (laughs) But it was also, I think people want to feature it because we want to have more choices around Christmas. I remember knowing you. In the days of needing to get all the presents and all the all the things for all the people and do all the right things and resources weren't an issue, but the time the time resource was an issue and the emotional resource was an issue and that whole thing about you know they don't need anything or I don't know what they want and now I'm just making more garbage and the stress was so high and then I remember you shifting to where you're making fruit cake with the kids and watching you cut and package little fruitcake bundles and you're making truffles with the kids and you're doing stuff together and you were a completely different person. Yeah. Right. And I, I love you so much. And I remember thinking how wonderful that was that you had found the thing that helped you be safe and free at Christmas. It gave me Christmas back. Right. It really did. And I really hope right. that this can be an excuse for people to think about what do they really want to do and what don't they want to do. Right. And jack up right. the things that bring you joy and just let go. If you want to have yeah. four cherry chocolate oranges. Right. Although I got to exactly. say, Christmas morning, Anthony was standing in the middle of a pile of presents and he goes, wait a second, <laughs> I've been ripped off. <laughs> now this year, he loves buying gifts. And so people are doing bought gifts with Anthony. Eric prefers made. I want to go back to doing truffles. And then Gary was saying, well, that's the boys' dad. He says, I don't know that I have time to make the things because time is a huge thing for him. He's like, so maybe I need to do bot gifts. And then we're talking about how he makes this huge elaborate dinner and how come that can't count as a contribution? Like, why does everyone even have to do the same thing? Why doesn't everyone do the thing they feel like doing? Right. And I I want to talk, I want to tell two things. One is that I, I have this friend whose dad... Um, had lots of money and no ideas. And he used to, when they were young adults, he would give his three kids money. And if I remember right, I think he gave them like a thousand dollars and he would give it to them on the first of December. And he would tell them that they were to show up at the house for Christmas dinner and demonstrate what they had purchased with the thousand (laughs) dollars. So they were to buy their own Christmas get what they really wanted and that he wanted evidence on Christmas day. Right. So they couldn't just like sock it away or, Mm -hmm. or not spend it or use it on the bills. Like he wanted it to be Christmas money. 
on Christmas gifts, but he wanted them to pick it, which saved him from the from the shopping, but it also saved him from feeling like he was making mistakes and uh-huh. that they got exactly what they wanted. And every year it was a really fun adventure for them to do this thing. When he gets so to see the joy on their faces and see all exactly. the good things. It's, yeah. it's like a Christmas fashion show of fun, right? Oh, wow. That's and they so would cool. buy sometimes ridiculous things that they would never have purchased for themselves that he would never have known they would want. That's so cool. So that's one fun <laughs> way to do it. And and for sure, like I can remember the many years when we didn't have anything um, I didn't have a lot financially that I would spend a lot of my time making gifts for people. So I knit or I sew or I crochet or I cook or I bake or I write things. You know, one year I made a pretty little booklet that had stories, had a stocking story in it and favorite recipes and things. And I could get those printed and I could give them to people and it didn't cost me a lot of money. Um, and it was a way to do something. But then when I went back to school to study for ministry, I still didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> but I also didn't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. That was really hard because we often think that, you know, you can just swap it over to something you do as presence with a C, something that is an effort that you make. And that's one of the ways that privilege plays into this, right? That it's it's a little bit tricky that if you spend all your time working just to stay alive, or you're spending all your time studying, trying to build a new life and taking care of the kids and you're on your own and all of these things, you don't always have a lot of time. So figuring out how to let it go is so important. Figuring yeah. out that that's where that conversation with the kids comes from. Sitting down with them and saying, I can't do it all. I can't make enough awesome stuff to feel like it's super Christmas. I can't buy it. How do we do this? We've got to figure out a way. The other piece of privilege is that, like for my kids, they got presents at their birthday and at Christmas. Mm-hmm. They didn't get, they weren't going on a plane, so they didn't get a plane present. <laughs> yep. Right? They went on a plane once. <laughs> and we didn't have a lot of money, so there, it wasn't easy. So the idea that we would do the handmade things at Christmas and then you'd get presents at different times through the year, that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, socks and underwear become presents because you, <laughs> you know, they're going to need new socks and new underwear every year. And if you wrap them up, they have more things to unwrap. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky. There's a privileged piece that plays into this. And I think the lesson we're all learning because we are all interrupted in this new time of, of viral threat that we, we might not have the access to shopping. We might not have the money. We could be in financial hardship. Our time could still be absent and we're in financial hardship and we we feel like we're supposed to trade um, the buying for the doing things together and then we don't know where we're going to find the time to do the things together. And somewhere in there, we have to find an answer about what really matters. The thing that I learned after our family made the shift is how incredibly much I had overestimated how much people wanted my gift in the first place. Right. Like, and that's not always true. There are families for whom it's incredibly important. But if you don't ask, and this is the perfect opportunity to ask what really matters, then you never know. And it might matter. I've been watching Anthony studying his driver's manual. I swear, I promise this is not, I promise this is not a tangent. And one of the things that they talk about, you know this, you're raised in the prairies. No, I was thinking, oh dear, driver's manual, Anthony's going to be driving. (laughs) So one of the things it says in the in the driving manual for people who live in the Canadian prairie is there's a lot about what happens when you skid on ice. And 
when you skid on ice, and you know this, Anne, you, yeah. when the car goes... Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> we've all done it. <laughs> when the car goes out of control, your gut instinct is to look at the tree that you might hit and try to not hit the tree. What you have to discipline yourself to do is look where you want to go and then steer there. Because when mm-hmm. you look at the barrier, you will hit the barrier. You need to look at the thing you were aiming for. Do you know that that works for coffee too? What do you mean? <laughs> that, that that was one of the things I learned in my waitressing years was that if you are carrying a tray full of drinks, if you look at the drinks, you will spill them every time. And if you look where you're going, you're likely to carry them level. Oh, don't look at what you're carrying. Look at where you are headed. Right. So don't look at the tree. Look at where you're headed. It keeps you on a steady path. Oh, I've been thinking about that. As it pertains to Christmas, both actually the piece about carrying and the piece about avoiding, like I'm avoiding people being upset. I'm avoiding, but in fact, you want to look at, look at the holiday you want to have and aim for that holiday rather than look at Mm -hmm. what you're worried might happen. But I've Mm -hmm. also been thinking about it a lot in the wake of the election and the division that's happening in a lot of countries, not just the US, our own included, that I spend a lot of time online And it is very easy to, when a conversation, and this happens in the hysterical society, a conversation starts to go in a painful direction, then you want to jump in and put in your two cents about the conflict. And I've Mm -hmm. had to learn online about that principle of look where you want to go and steer there. So an algorithm, even at the algorithm level, the algorithm learns what I pay attention to and what I read. And when I go to click on something, I think, am I aiming where I want to go? Or am I looking at a thing that will make me a rageful person or an afraid person? And sometimes you say, oh, well, I'm becoming more informed. But usually Facebook isn't where you're becoming more informed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I keep thinking, am I looking where I want to go and steering there? And especially in a thread where a conflict arises and people are saying, you know, I found this hurtful. And then someone else says, well, you shouldn't have found that hurtful. And then we go back and forth. Oh my God, that's helpful. (laughs) Yes, I say that, but I have had that feeling of you shouldn't have found that hurtful. I've had the feeling of I shouldn't have found something hurtful. It is just not helpful to say it out loud. Right. And as a moderator, (laughs) when you're early to it, you jump in and you say, you shouldn't say that they shouldn't find that hurtful, which is actually kind of doing the same thing. You shouldn't be offended that they found that hurtful. Well, you're offended. I will hurt you instead. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you're doing the exact same thing. And what What I've learned to do is to look where you want to go and steer there, talk to the person who was hurt instead. Say, Mm -hmm. you know, thank you for speaking up. I hear what you're saying. I've learned something from that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of engaging with, I mean, sometimes you have to engage with the person who's jumping on them, of course, but that shouldn't be the first thing. Sometimes you just remove them. Yeah. Sometimes you just quiet it down, whatever. But the priority is to reach. You have to think about who you want to reach for. And usually you want to reach rather than fight. And that's been something I have been focusing on a lot lately. And that ties in with Christmas and it ties in with COVID and it ties in with Mm -hmm. that task we have right now, which is where are we going to direct our energy and how are we going to spend our time? Yeah. Oh, actually, on the topic of look where you want to go and steer there, I'm going to put a video in the show notes. Um, Some of the podcasts that I really like do like book club or video club. Due to my traumatic seminary experience, I'm not going to ask anyone (laughs) to read anything ever again. (laughs) But I am going to put a link to a YouTube video that I love that has to do with this steering there thing that has dramatically changed how I live, especially online, but in a lot of ways. So that will be like our homework assignment that you can read if you want. If you would like to have watched it, I want to discuss it next time because I think it's a really powerful thing. It is. And it's a little bit challenging. If you don't like it, still try to watch it all the way to the end. Yes, you have to hang in there. Just like the vaccination conversation. I don't think it will hurt you. (laughs) 
I don't think it will hurt you in the end. You may disagree, but it's it's important. Yes, it is. It's an important idea. We will discuss that next year. I feel like there are people all over the continent, possibly the world, listening to this podcast, thinking about that... Um, there is no way they are going to carry the coffee mugs without looking at them. Well, you of course you don't. You just look at them a little less. No, you don't look at them. You look at where you're going. Well, okay, but you don't do it right the first time, right? Like you land flat on your face over and over and over again. But you get it is better. totally okay to disagree with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will try not to say you shouldn't feel that way. We might think it, but we'll try not to say. Well, it. we'll say it, but then Anne will correct me, and then I'll edit it out. <laughs> So I have a great story I want to squeeze in here that does not follow perfectly from where we were going. But in the interest of being holiday inclusive, I would like to tell a solstice story. <gasps> oh, yeah. So the congregation I serve, Westwood Unitarian in Edmonton, they celebrate winter solstice every year as the big public service event of the year. And we have a small building, which we are not in right now, so what we would do is we would get a location. So for the last, for 10 years, we went to City Hall. And City Hall let us use their space so that we could have two or three or 400 people even at Solstice. So it gets bigger and bigger. And every year we want to do something more fantastic. And we're having this service that is an alternative to Christmas and an alternative to all of the other events that are going on at this time of year. So it's got some meaningful content and some family content and blah, 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 blah. And singing, lots of singing, because we all need singing. <laughs> so this one year, we had this really great idea. We always give the children a gift. Now, we give everybody a little gift, but we give the children a special gift. And the, the big reveal is that the sun always returns at solstice. And so whoever is playing the sun descends the grand staircase in their glory. They've transformed from, you know, their everydayness to their brilliant sun returning and descending and they come with a gift for the children so this year oh we upped the ante right we're going to do the best present ever <laughs> oh great that's going to go well <laughs> right so we get these beautiful large river stones i mean like would fit in the palm of a child's hand right mm -hmm. they weren't monstrous and we called all our creative beings together and we painted them. So all of them had a sun on them and they were all, there was no two suns alike and they were unique and different and beautiful. But then somebody said, you're going to give them a rock. And <laughs> we thought, well, it is kind of cold and hard. I know we will warm them up. What? So, you know, those chemical hand warmers that you just snap and mm -hmm. then it heats up that you put in your mittens. Yep. So what we did was we put the stones in baskets and we put the hand warmers in with us. So some in the bottom and then the stones and then some on the top to warm up before the service. And we tested it and we practiced and we tested how long does it take for them to get warm? And you want it to be noticeable, but not, you know, traumatic. And so we practiced and we practiced. It took a lot longer than we thought it would take to warm them up. <laughs> So we timed it and we planned it, right? And like an hour before the service, we crack the warmers, we put the stones in the baskets. We have the baskets down beside the stage because it was too heavy for the sun to carry them all down the <laughs> stairs. They come with these symbolic basket. And during this great dramatic reading and this beautiful piece of music, the sun, it, we call the children forward to call the sun and that sun is to hand out the stones to the children. And the sun looks at me and gives me a face that I don't understand. I know something is happening. 
I'm doing the reading. I know something is happening, but I do not know what. And so the son, who is a professional actor, she is a super talented human, starts this great flourishy behavior where her arms are spreading out from her body and she's taking the stones one at a time from the basket and spreading them all along the front of the stage. And I'm thinking... This is weird. <laughs> Even for a UU solstice service. This Even is for weird. a UU solstice This is not what we planned and practiced. <laughs> this is not what the script says. And then the son, look, the son looks at me and and gives me one of those universal symbols for this shit is hot. <laughs> As sons are. <laughs> so we had to invite the children to wait until the final three songs were sung and then come and select a stone from the edge of the stage. So there's the sun laying out the stones so they can cool and shooing the children away from the stage so that so that they don't burn. We, it's not good symbolism. Maybe leave your to mittens burn on. The hands. <laughs> they were inside. They had no mittens on. Oh. It is not good symbolism to burn the hands of the children with the returning sunshine. <laughs> so it turned out that in our testing to practice how long it took to heat the stones, we would check like after 15 minutes, after half an hour, after 45 minutes, because they were wrapped in towels inside the basket with the things. What we hadn't factored in was how much it cooled down the basket every time we opened the towel. Oh. So we didn't do a test where we put them in and left them for an hour. I will tell you what Eric tells me every year as I try to decorate the house for Christmas with duct tape and heavy garlands is that the laws of physics are not something that are optional. Mm. Unitarians, it's not something we affirm and promote the laws of physics. They happen whether you agree with them or not. So Christmas notes and also as applies to solstice, <laughs> um, categories are not necessarily categories, but physics is still physics. Physics is physics, which is why you look where you want to go and steer there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> physics, non-optional. Not likely to change even though it is 2020 and everything goes badly. Although there is a bit of more suspense to solstice this year. Like, is the sun going to come back? I don't know. Maybe this year it just won't. The sun is going to return. The sun <laughs> always returns. And until the sun proves me wrong and then we're dead and it doesn't matter, I'm sticking with the sun always returns, Liz. Okay. Do not shatter my congregation's theology. <laughs> if the sun does not return, I will apologize in the January month. If the sun does not return, we are going to have one hell of a corrections corner. <laughs> I think we'll be off the hook for that. And now, a cracked cup blessing. You are not failing to Christmas properly. You might be choosing to Christmas a little more or a little less than usual, but you are not failing. You're not failing if you are missing gifts, or if you're missing people, or if you have people but they're the same ones that you've had for 10 months straight in close quarters and you're kind of wishing you had them a little less for a while? You are not failing if you're planning to spend your holidays drinking and watching Netflix eating what you're telling yourself is candy left over from Halloween except you've finished and rebought it four times 
And you're not failing if you can't somehow wrestle the true meaning of Christmas out of this dumpster fire going on around you like they always do on the Hallmark specials. Because they lied to you about Christmas. Martha Stewart lied to you about the decor, the stores lied about how much anyone likes those stupid shrink-wrapped baskets, and Pinterest lied about absolutely freaking everything because lying is what Pinterest does best. The church lied about when Jesus was born, and a whole bunch of people lied about Santa, and everyone lies about what a normal family looks like. That's all crap. It's not the real story. The real story is about a terrified refugee family huddled in a barn that was all animal poop and noise when they arrived and was probably not improved in smell or looks by hosting an impromptu childbirth without running water. There was no scrubbed face of Jesus, no clean and glowing straw bales, and animals in barns don't kneel in tidy rows like that. So if you are worried about the cleanliness of your house, try comparing it to the scene of that alleged first Christmas and think, meh. At least there is not a cow pooping in my living room, and there is virtually no blood at all on my floor. Because you can forget right now about the glued cranberry wreath that you saw on Martha Stewart's Pinterest, because that is not the real spirit of Christmas, that is the real spirit of Martha Stewart. The real spirit of Christmas is Mary hoping that stupid star doesn't get any brighter, because just as people were arriving, she subtly kicked her placenta under the manger to hide it, and it's still kind of peeking out a little... In fact, her placenta is now six inches from the foot of one of the allegedly wise men, you know, the trio that thought it was okay to drop in immediately post-childbirth without so much as a sandwich or a hemorrhoid pillow. And if Lord Sir Unrealistic Expectations steps on said placenta, he will definitely startle, and then he will bump into the idiot kid who brought a drum into a herd of livestock clustered around a newborn baby. You know, that traditional Mary pose where she's got her head tucked low and she's kind of leaning over to one side? If you look closely, it becomes very clear that what's actually happening is she's dozing off and having a happy dream in which she pushes one of the nearby cows over and it falls and crushes every last one of her visitors to death. That is the real spirit of Christmas. Exhaustion and endurance and making do. Maybe. Except Christmas doesn't come from Mary and Joseph, at least not only from them. It isn't like that night was the first one and it just repeated like that on loop until the liberal media started saying happy holidays and everyone started arguing. No, Christmas has roots all over. Modern Santa Claus is a mashup of about four different guys. Sinterklaas had slaves and used to stuff bad children into sacks and kick them. And don't get me started on the December 25th thing, which actually comes from pagans hosting big parties over the return of the sun. And then the Christians arrived and got all, these parties are heathenist evil doing uppity. So the pagans were all, but we're uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus. And that's how they got to keep solstice with, you know, a little rebranding. Like, like we kept Santa Claus, but did a quick ixnay on the icking K. So you are not failing to Christmas properly. If you can't recreate what you do each year, Even without the pandemic going on, the Christmas you're trying to return to never happened. December isn't a season of beauty and depth and connection that has been screwed up by a pandemic. It's screwed up every year. It disappoints us in one way or another every year. Sure, there are happy moments at the big family dinner, but a lot of it is also spent trying to ignore that your decomposing Martha Stewart cranberry wreath is decomposing above Uncle Harold's head and dropping bits down his sweater as he tells the same stupid, unfunny joke he does every year, except this year people are inexplicably laughing, instead of the usual awkward silence as the grandkids text each other racist much under the table. Christmas isn't broken this year. There is no prototype Christmas to break. The only constant of Christmas is that it is constantly getting remade to fit the world of the people celebrating it. Christmas is about making do. 
making do with a barn and a family with some heavy paternity questions going on, making do with a festival that gets kind of jerry-rigged to keep it alive and avoid persecution, making do with decorations that are literally whatever garbage you found in the woods behind the house and thinking about the sun coming back and surrounding ourselves with sometimes loved ones, but frankly, not always. And yet, in the middle of what can only be described as mayhem, there are always these moments of warmth and light. And Mary smiling at the baby, or the drive to look at the Christmas lights in the car with the cocoa on the kids' laps. You will find and make these moments of joy, and you should embrace them and let them warm you right down to your toes, no matter how unorthodox or unexpected they are. And the beauty of these moments is that no amount of anything sucking can make them any less beautiful. And that's true every year, and it will be true this year. And know that cold and dark and uncertainty cannot cancel Christmas. Nothing can cancel Christmas. It's not cancelable. Because the meaning of Christmas is to endure uncertainty and change. The meaning of Christmas is not about being perfect. Every piece of the story, when you trace it back, is about the opposite of being perfect. It's about something more beautiful and more profound and decidedly less photogenic. To be human is to be part of a great story of learning and changing and enduring and making do. And you, with your imperfect holiday, you fit right into that story. Christmas is not failing you. And you are not failing Christmas. You are doing Christmas exactly right. We interrupt these announcements that have not yet begun to bring you good news. We didn't talk about it in the main podcast because of when things were recorded, but I can tell you now that our fundraiser succeeded, and on December 1st, Reverend Fougence began the process of filing the papers to bring the group of refugees to Canada. A lot of you were a huge part of that, and I am so grateful to you. Those of you who listened to the bonus episode will know this whole story, and those of you who didn't, well, I need to tell you that in my opinion, that episode is one of our best and has great stories about strippers and taxes and a beautiful Christmas story about a turkey. And if you skipped it, and our numbers would indicate that several of you did, I would suggest going back because you missed a really good one. Other announcements. On December 6th at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time, that's this Sunday, we will be joining Capital Unitarian Universalist Congregation for an online holiday celebration that will be filled with songs and laughter. If you are looking for a bright holiday, something that you can be a part of without brushing your hair or changing into your fancy pajamas, this is the service for you. Westwood is also hosting a whole set of beautiful celebrations, including Solstice and Blue Christmas Service, where we can honor the things that are hard this year. In the words of the Reverend Ann Barker, you're going to cry anyways. Come cry with us. There's a link to all the services in the show notes, along with that link to Alara's video, to Suzanne failing to steal drugs at the church conference, and to the YouTube video that I assigned as homework for next episode. I'm also making a YouTube video out of The Blessing, which I was supposed to have finished before this episode comes up, but I have not. Ironically, I'm failing to Christmas properly. But if you check back in about a week, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can subscribe to Mirth and Dignity's YouTube channel or our email lists, and there's stuff in all the Facebooks and all that yada yada. You've been listening to the Cracked Cup Podcast, a Mirth and Dignity production. If you liked our podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you would give us a rating and maybe even a review, and we would especially appreciate it if you would recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or a comment or a comment masquerading as a question. You can email us at uuhystericalsociety at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website at crackedcuppodcast.com. 
If you like the podcast, you might like to attend a service some Sunday morning. There's a special service for this campaign. It will happen twice, hosted by two different congregations, on November 22nd and then again on November 29th. The links are in the show notes. If you like the stories of this podcast, I think you will really like this service. I will be telling the lion story from when I was in rural Kenya. We also have a holiday service coming up on December 6th, which I'm also really looking forward to. And the Zoom links for all of these are in the show notes. If you're wondering about this Facebook group we keep mentioning, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And a huge thank you to the UU Funding Program for funding the first 10 episodes of our podcast. And also a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters who are joining with us and supporting our vision of having this podcast last even beyond those first 10 episodes. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash mirth and dignity. And the first 30 supporters to sign up will get a very exciting present, as well as the ongoing access to the fun bonus stuff that all our Patreon supporters get. If you'd like to use the blessing from this month's podcast in a worship or in your own creative endeavors, you're more than welcome to do that, ideally with attribution in the form of a shout out to our podcast or website. All of our materials are licensed under the Truth Will Not Hold Still licensing, which we invented, and which means that not only are you free to use our stuff, you are free to modify our words to suit new contexts and understandings as language evolves over time. Music for the Cracked Cup podcast is done by Blue Dot Sessions, and production is done by the saintly and talented Adrian Muhajirin, and audio interference is managed by Simba the Cat. We are so grateful that you could join us.